0: The Overview is a production of Channel V TV. Find out more about the show at TV. What's up? What's up everybody? Welcome to episode 69 of The Overview. I'm Jan V, and joining me today is Fishsticks, of course. What's up, Ben? Hey, I'm a
1: little under the weather
0: today, but that's okay. Plenty to talk about. <laughs> Should the be Ebola. A good. That Ebola virus or the Ebola virus. <laughs> the Evo- Ebola virus. I would,
1: before you misinterpret, Chris, I was at Evo <laughs> last week. Actually, yeah, like a full week ago. And I got like, I
0: somehow got sick like six days after I got home. So I'm now just getting yeah. over that. It's, uh, it, it's that dormant. That dormant virus or whatever that comes out a little bit later. Uh, also, with joining us today is ZP, but he's uh, he's definitely sporting the
2: doom, Doomfist skin today. <laughs> so I, 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 I'm up, going buddy? full Doomfist. Uh, I, I'm just trying to collect myself after getting <laughs> back. Uh, 50 hours of air travel all combined uh, in the course of a week definitely can drain you. I'm actually somehow not sick relative to everyone else who is apparently getting sick. But uh, yeah, just uh, recovering right now after what was a great weekend. Right. And I will say I am so remiss that we didn't have Cool Matt on for this uh, version of the episode just because of the number. Just <laughs> because of the number.
0: <laughs> nice, nice. Well, instead of Cool Matt, we are we we definitely have the pleasure of welcoming uh, Jamerson on the show for the first time. What's up, buddy?
3: Uh, great to be here. Super excited, especially after such a great weekend of games yes. to be able to talk to them talk about them right afterwards. So thank you so much for having me.
0: I Master can't predictor like over a, here.
3: This long, I know. To get Jamerson on the
0: show. Ben like was asking to. Ha- I mean, he mentioned having you on. Man, since was it the e- that esports arena event? What was it? It was uh, I mean, yeah. Agents Rising. Agents Rising. rising. Good, Good
3: time.
1: Wow. Like a year anybody ago. Is, anybody <laughs> in chat again? remember Agents oh Rising? Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. It's a really
0: long time ago. A long time coming, Jamerson. So uh, <laughs> glad to have you on and. I mean, who knew you were a master predictor like you were this weekend?
3: Just call me the prophet. I mean. <laughs>
0: totally, right? <laughs>
3: <laughs> poor Zoe. Like,
1: know, poor Zoe. Zoe.
0: The, the antithesis of that. All
1: but right, she, to be fair, was like, Zoe was just saying what everyone else was Thinking, Thinking like, that's true. Exactly. That's
0: true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, anyways, today, guys, we've got uh, the World Cup to talk about. Obviously, we're going to go in-depth with Sydney, given that we had two of these guys working it. And it's a fantastic event, too. Uh, previewing Katowice in uh, another week and a half. We'll get a look at that, get some predictions there. Uh, and then we got a couple community things. Uh, I think there's a good discussion right now to talk about just you know, certain streamers, walking you know, taking a step back from overwatch and why that is is that a concern all that good stuff uh and then even just some um balance discussion given that there were a few posts or a couple posts today um on the blizzard forms from jeff goodman and uh regarding roadhog too so this is like totally fresh for me i, I like literally am looking at it for the first time right now uh and then uh just a couple player and team news and q a of course at the end So World Cup, let's talk about that. That's obviously the the big topic here. And, uh, of course, Sydney just concluded uh, this past uh, Sunday, right? Yeah, it's finished on Sunday. (laughs) I'm getting all my days mixed up, given that I was staying up to watch it.
2: Okay, you think you're getting your days mixed up. (laughs) Think about the people flying back from (laughs) Sydney where you have basically added an eighth day to the week. That's how (laughs) this works. I, I flew from Sydney out on Monday morning, and then I arrive in LAX. 13 hours later, an hour before I left. So, look, I don't want to hear anything from you just sitting (laughs) at the same place the entire time going, like, what what time of the day is it? How is this week going? No, you don't get to do that. Me and Jamerson get to do
0: that. All that hard work, I I have to say that just kind of leading off this segment is that the World Cup Sydney groups is – arguably the best thing I've seen so far in uh, Overwatch Esports. And, I mean, there there were definitely a few moments last year at BlizzCon, but I think overall, as an event, just given the storylines, given just the setup, the national pride, the crowd, everything, for me, as a spectator watching it all, all three days, it was uh, fantastic. It was the best thing I've seen. So, I want to get your first thoughts. Ben, actually, you too, as a, a spectator at home, what'd you think?
1: It was phenomenal. The storylines were mm-hmm. bursting. I mean... Mm-hmm. Talk about upsets! Like <laughs> yeah. I seriously did not think there was a chance in the world. Like it could never happen that Finland would not go through that group. I mean, it's the it's two of the most talented DPS players out of Europe, plus this squad that has been playing together forever in in the NIP slash RIP squad. I thought they were through for sure. Spain equally is scary. It's got pro <laughs> stacked to the teeth with pro players. So when Japan Ended up beating Spain, and like then, then we got in this situation where it's like okay now now it's probably either Spain or Finland that are going to drop out. Which one is it going to be? And like basically made every match in that group super exciting and fun mm-hmm. to watch. Um, of course, uh, we no one had ever really heard of AKTM at this point, point. Uh, and Tayo and like the whole squad just played super well. Japan turned so many heads, uh, and I, I love that. I love how they played. Like they played such a not even, like, a complicated style. Like, they just aggression. had a very straightforward, aggressive style with Tayo constantly flanking and just coming in at the right moment. Really, really solid communication. You could see it in their coordination. Uh, and Japan <laughs> just made so many
0: fans. Like, what a fun team to watch. Uh, with all I, this talk, yeah. you'd think Japan actually advanced, <laughs> but actually <laughs> so
2: Australia the home crowd. Hearts, if nothing else, I know so
0: they like were high. absolutely yeah, the the favorite outside of if it wasn't actually in Sydney. I feel like Japan would have been easily the the biggest fan favorite of the weekend. But given well, I mean, that was in it, Sydney, to, it was Sydney to that point,
2: <laughs> as far as it went with Japan, is that what we saw from Japan is that they got the most pops and reaction from the crowd. For any other team that wasn't mm-hmm. australia i mean people very much enjoyed playing it i mean or not playing but uh watching them and mm-hmm. i mean part of the reason is too is that and this is sort of a tangent all its own but people when you can get just first person views of hit scan characters doing crazy stuff that mm-hmm. aren't tracer but in this case mccree and widowmaker they those two heroes particularly when well played by tai Mu as a widow uh earlier in the the Group stage, and then of course, everything AKTM did with McCree got the biggest reactions out of the crowd mm-hmm. by far. And yeah, I mean, some of the tangent, but I was no, no, for, it's, it's, for, it's, for it's, Japan, when you have a really good McCree player like that, you're gonna make a lot of fans,
0: yeah. I mean, that you know, your point there, I made that point like months ago where I, I feel like Widow, and I, I don't think I don't, I'm not sure if I mentioned McCree or not, but definitely Widow being part of the meta was hugely. Um, important as to how popular or how fast Overwatch esports would take off as a spectator. So I know exactly what you mean by that, and, um But Jamerson, what was your take, man?
3: I mean, definitely uh, one of it was just that, you know, AKTM was, was just flexing his hero pool. So getting to see the Reaper, <laughs> getting to see um, the McCree and the 76 and the Genjis come out, like, it, it, you just you reach such a wide player base at that pool, especially when coming into this, your expectation is we're just going to see the same die compositions over and over again. So for these (laughs) upstarts to come out, and just be like, no, we're going to do this in a really spectacular fashion. It it just really, uh, you know, um, hit so many heartstrings at that point. Yeah,
2: I mean, I'd say probably the toughest realization of the entire group stage is when you finally realized what the playoff matches were going to be, and you saw those Australia versus... uh, japan uh mm-hmm. to end things up you're just like oh one of these teams is not going to I be know, going both on fan so, that, that, <laughs> that, that, honestly i think the most oft-repeated sentiment there was we wish both of these teams could make it and yeah i mean either way it was a very very exciting weekend and i don't think enough love has been given to it here already but um the crowd to begin with was oh yeah, yeah talk to us about the one beast. of the best crowd
0: so because okay. we couldn't really hear it like full force you know, on the stream you know we could definitely hear some of the roars and but it wasn't like as impactful as i'm sure it was like live so describe it for us
2: so what we would do is uh, for uh, me and uber when we weren't casting is that we would go out to the crowd uh, i mean there are player, there are areas up top to you know get some food and watch it or just mm-hmm. you know roam around the ground and i mean in a word it was powerful especially when australia was playing i mean mm-hmm. the crowd just extremely loud, extremely into the games. Anytime they would win a team fight, uh, even if it wasn't clear how or why, where you see, like, say, Australia going in, the crowd just lost its mind. Like It was only 2,000 people, but they were extremely mm-hmm. loud. They were much louder than crowds I've heard where you've had, for other events and stuff, uh, not necessarily Overwatch, but just in general, but louder than, say, crowds of, like, 10,000 people. It mm-hmm. was insane how much they were into the game.
1: Yeah, and the fact that Australia won on their home turf was just just tied the bow over the really awesome weekend of upsets. Of you know, I the mean, production value was great, and then Australia wins yeah. in their hometown. That was just well. So I exciting. mean, even
0: the last of series. I mean, there there are a lot of things that you couldn't script any better this weekend that happened. I mean, it was a lot of things. Luckwise or whatever, working out so perfectly to have this epic event. And, you know, we talked about upsets just leading it off. Day one upsets just sets the tone for the the rest of the weekend because every single match, like you said, Ben, is almost like an elimination match. Almost every, every game is potentially an elimination game, you know, within the sets, too. So, um, you know, finishing 2-2 was important in a lot of these matches, too, you know, just or even just getting one match because, uh, you know, we saw even what happened with... You know, at least you know with with uh, Japan and or with uh, Portugal, I think it was right. Like not not taking any games off of uh, uh, I think it was Sweden, right? Um, no, yeah. no, Sweden they took two, but it was against Australia they didn't take any games, right? So um, yeah, I mean, anyways, it, it set up a great tone, and then at the very end with just Japan and, and Australia being tied two two going into it like the overtime on Oasis and that that crazy play by I eat you up. I can't even imagine the crowd during that play.
3: Now, you you can really tell that a lot of these players were just just feeding off the energy of the crowd. IEU up throughout the entirety of that weekend. His trace play got better and better and much more clutch. Like, you you were seeing huger pulse bombs come out day two and day three, Mm -hmm. and he really was just... Feeling the energy of the crowd and you know they, they could see it because of course you know they weren't in booths they were just out on the stage they could see out into the crowd they see their flags just waving into the air there were so many Australian fans there that you just can't help but be compelled by that kind of energy
0: Yeah, many many times I could see the players looking over their monitors just out in the crowd <laughs> that was really really cool um, in,
1: re- in retrospect I should have like in, in my internal power rankings Australia should have been higher up. yeah, that. they should have. yeah. just just to give some background, uh, probably everyone listening to this podcast knows already, but in case you don't, the Australia squad is comprised of blank eSports. so they are a fully professional team that plays together every day of the week uh, and has been doing so, not just like in online tourneys and stuff, but they've been playing in Taiwan in the Asia Pacific region League for months now. So they they have months and months and months and months of experience. LAN experience boot camping together. Mm-hmm. So it's really no surprise that they they did end up advancing here. Uh I think probably a lot of people, myself included, had them probably too low on their power rankings. But in the end, the fact that Australia and Sweden are the ones that ultimately are going through isn't a huge surprise. But everything before that point was just like <laughs> massive. Like even the fact like the first match of the first day, Sweden getting getting knocked down a peg, going 2-2 against Portugal. Like, just, you're right, Chris, that just set the tone for the whole weekend.
2: Well, the thing about the first day, of course, is that the big surprise there was, of course, you had Sweden getting taken to the limit, and then you had, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, you had Japan just really clocking Spain in the mouth. And it was a case where, I mean, that was a mix of both ends there, where I think Spain played much better going into day two and day three, uh, clearly... Well, they made a roll uh, swap. <laughs> I mean, it well, was Harry on Soldier. Well, it Soldier. wasn't just a roll swap. Was they were on dps on day one as well, too. But at it, the end of it. At, at the very end. So, obviously, having Harry Hook on Soldier was fine. The bigger part there, too, is just also the part where it, it takes a little bit as a to get back into the mode of dealing 3DPS, so uh, Winghaven Haven had an adjustment period. But regardless, Spain came out weak, Japan came out really strong, that's how you had that perfect storm, and It did set the stage for the rest of the groups for the sort of drama that unfolded there, where, of course, Spain, even though they weren't able to get through, they did just totally wreck Finland's chances by coming out incredibly strong against them. Yeah, definitely they
0: were able to regroup both Sweden and Spain. And um, so... I think the team that we were expecting ended up showing up on on the very last day, and unfortunately, Sweden and Spain had to play each other too. So that I mean, only one of them could have you know would have ended up going through. But the one thing about uh, Japan, I have to say, is that you know after day one, you're thinking, um, you know, with the, actually early day two, you're you you were looking at some of the teams that we were expecting to be favored starting to regroup. You're thinking, okay, Japan's going to get put in their place. You know after. Uh, you know or at least in day two and then maybe not even make day three if, if there was any possibilities of that but Japan actually followed through like I mean I really think that between Australia Japan and even Spain for that second spot it, it could have gone any direction depending on what day it was and of course for Australia you know it worked out totally great for them um, just you know this this past weekend but those three seemed pretty even to me by the end Sweden was probably a little bit ahead of them just given how solid they played on the last day but um it was just super competitive
2: you know like one thing i think one thing i think is really worth noting by the way heading into the next group stage is that just so no one is caught off guard and they really shouldn't be but australia was relatively firmly beaten or blanky sports by the uh, Flash Wolves team for which is now basically the Chinese Taipei team heading into the Santa Monica stage. So when you get there, definitely expect good things coming out from the Chinese Taipei team, Mm because I I think that's going to be really sick Look forward to. It's not the next uh, group stage, by the way. Next group stage is Poland, but something to keep in mind, where if you uh, Mm. thought Australia was impressive, Chinese Taipei should also be very good uh, in their showing. Mm, Okay. I don't think a lot of people had them on their
0: radar. At least uh, most well, the Asia people. region in general. I know is they're surprised. man. Yeah.
3: No, that's the that's the great thing about World Cup, right? Last year, I remember uh, specifically a lot of the power rankings revolving around World Cup. Korea was rather low. If you looked at it, a lot of them were estimating them to be like. Possibly like low, like lower end of the pack, and then they just came around to dominate and wreck everyone. And so now we're getting to actually see that a lot of these regions have leveled up, and particularly mm-hmm. in this last year, the um, the Southeast Asian—I uh, don't know so, uh, how much Southeast Asia—but like the Eastern Asian, right? Japan, Korea, mm-hmm. uh, Taipei, or Taiwan, along with China, have just leveled up to a massive degree that it, it's hard to not ignore them at this point. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, um, overall, like, what'd you guys think of, I mean, obviously you guys worked production, so, um, you know, we'll definitely talk to you guys just kind of behind the scenes. But Ben, overall, just with production of the entire weekend, what did you think of it? Compa- especially solid. compared I mean, to the previous week, too.
1: This time we had Jamerson and, and ZP, of course, like mm-hmm. swapping in. So a little bit of a caster um, moving around, but uh, everyone, everyone did a great job. Uh, it was great to see Uber's passion just mm-hmm. flowing as he was commentating the Australian <laughs> team. Yep. Um, James, I think you did a great job hosting the desk, and we were talking about Flame. Uh, his performance as a caster, like he's really uh, coming into his own in terms of just presentation. Like he's always had the knowledge uh, down, but he's really learning how to you know get a good cadence while he's speaking. Um <clears throat> excuse me. Uh and yeah, I, I was just really pleased in general with the with the production, production the games, uh the crowd, everything just felt really really solid to me.
0: Yeah, the totally to, even Golden Boy just rallying the crowd too. I mean, those are some really really fun moments and you know just the whole Aussie 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 oi 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 bit um so Yeah, I I think right now, from the standpoint of the talent and the casting, like with you guys, that's not a problem right now. You know, that's not definitely the the issue with, uh, you know, currently with with Overwatch esports. So. I feel really, really confident, at least in terms of the product of what we have there. It's just all the other stuff now. You know, we got to step up with some more stats, some more, you know, things in between, some roll, you know, B-rolls, some even more B-rolls to set up some even more storylines. They did a pretty good job with it, though, this weekend. You know, just kind of setting up some, uh, you know, just some of the player stories and things like that. But um, a little bit more of that, I think, you know, we'll, we'll be almost there you know and and obviously spectator i think we talked about last week a little bit just some of the the spectator things and you know it the facilities are there it's just a matter of just figuring out the proper way to to set you know the casters up or set the storyline up a, a bit within games
3: no, i mean the as has always it's an a- amazing job yeah mm-hmm. uh, go ahead tp yeah sorry we both. But at the same time,
2: but I was going to say, as always, it's an evolving product, right? Where mm-hmm. uh, Overwatch is a complex game. Uh, there's a lot going on in terms of both from the casting end and also just production. How do you set up proper stories? How do you set up proper stats, etc.? And I mean, these are all answers that are being very steadily answered over time. I feel like from event to event, especially when Blizzard has been involved, we've seen just improving quality over time. So, you know, there are moments where people get very doom and gloom over things, uh, sometimes very minor things. But, you know, you take a look at the overall product, you can't deny that things have been improving at a rather quick uh, rate. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I, I think it was a very positive step forward all in all.
0: Yeah. And that's the biggest thing. Just as long as there's progress, that's the thing that will keep me happy. You know, as long as we're not taking step backs each time we're doing these type of productions, you know, that's definitely um, you know, really good and, and just kind of building upon each one. Um, in turn so I had a question for you guys. In terms of you know, one of the things that we talked about is AKTM, right? And just like some of the phenomenal plays that he made and just <laughs> plenty of highlight reels the entire weekend. So in terms of his McCree play, How do you guys actually rank his McCree play versus some of the best McCrees that we have around the game?
3: I I think it's a mixture of a few things. Well, first, we don't really get to see as much McCree. I mean, before that, uh, we had seen a smatter, or a little bit of it in Apex. Um, I believe AF Blue, Rekai pulled it out against uh, Lumetik High. Mm -hmm. um, To decent effect, I think it was on Route 66. um, But the fact that we haven't seen it in a while, uh, a lot of teams had just kind of undersold undersold McCree, especially in the dive composition, how well he can work out. Um, Also, it was... Um, the two standout performances were against Spain Well, by the end where they weren't really running a diva and also against Vietnam Well, uh, unfortunately Vietnam was kind of the punching bag of Group D so um, when it came down to actually seeing him face off against uh, Taimu in Finland in that final matchup in Group D mm-hmm. uh, it did give us a good um, bearing for where his level was and I think um, his aim is Particularly fantastic, right? He he does have great aim. His flashbang timings were great, but he did have a kind of I want to say Calvin-esque tendencies. If you ever watch, you know, Aitbal <laughs> Calvin play that. his McCree, yeah. he goes a little rogue, right? Where he tries to make these hero plays, and we saw a few times where AKTM would try to uh, keep himself lurking on certain angles and then try to go for a play. That's set up for about 30 40 seconds, off or not. And so, I think there's still a lot of potential there for AKTM, and I can't wait to see more of this guy.
2: Well, there's potential there, although I will like this is where I'll go in and just note uh, what we saw in terms of tank play for the general areas of the event. And I really do feel like teams were giving AKTM a lot more space than you would give a Taimu in a lot of those matchups, mm-hmm. where Fra- frankly, that people did not treat a McCree as you have to deal with McCree. If you take a look at how Taimu historically, when he goes on to McCree, is dealt with, he has people in his face at all times. He very rarely has room to breathe because when he gets room to breathe, he's very deadly. AKTM, or AKTM by comparison, especially in, say, that first Spain matchup, was given all the room in the world. He wasn't given the respect that you give to a top DPS player. And we see that that can really affect, like, how much a player can be effective on, where your players like Taimu are constantly suffocated because teams do their homework and they go, we have to get in on this guy. Yeah. Uh, Defran, for example, you saw this with Defran, where the first big breakout tournament itself was had, Defran looked utterly unstoppable. Still very much one of the best soldiers in the game when he plays, uh, whenever the next stage he might play. But, uh, <laughs> it, but what you saw is that his effectiveness is definitely less compared to the very beginning because yeah. teams learned how to deal with him. So I think it's always hard to entirely judge where a player stands in their first breakout moment because the test isn't really how much is this guy doing when teams aren't game planning around him and they aren't applying as much pressure. It's going to be how does your DPS player do when teams do start isolating and looking for it? Right. Like Would AKTM be able to get the same results in a setup where, you know, for example, you talk about he may have put on his resume a good showing to get in the Overwatch League? But would he get the same amount of space in that sort of environment? Probably not. So it's sort of it was a promising start, but you definitely can't anoint anyone just off of. um, Oh, of course not.
0: And, you know, I guess in maybe a counterpoint to that was that by day three, they knew all about AKTM. So people were focusing on him on day three. And yet he was still making some plays, not as many, obviously, you know, but he was still making some plays even given that, that happening. So uh, I think it's pretty promising for him. I don't know if he's like the best McCree ever. I mean, Doe was making this, make him sound like he was literally the, the best Ooh. McCree ever, but um, he, he's definitely, oh, say- uh, uh, he's definitely a, a, a star that
2: we've never seen before. I mean, AKTM has absolutely bought himself like a tryout for some Overwatch League team. Yeah. Uh, I think it'd be silly not to kick the tires on it. It's just like anything, you have to. It was an incredible story for the weekend, but, you know, it takes a little bit more than that to just proclaim someone as this guy's the next coming uh, in terms of yeah. stuff in the future. But for the weekend, he was absolutely the player of the weekend.
1: We're going down the uh, OWL rabbit hole just a little bit more, weekends like this really go to prove to me that I think. OWL can work on a global scale because mm-hmm. Australia has a great team. I mean, sure, you could you could add some Koreans here or there and try to make like a super team down the road and like draft players from all around the world. But like the Australian fans are there. The Australians are players are there. Same with Japan. Who knew Japan had such a strong team? Basically, nobody, nobody in the scene was as, like as aware of how good they would be uh, as, as as maybe they were. Uh, so it makes you think we could have a Tokyo team. We could have a Mel- Melbourne or, or a, a Sydney team. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would love to see that. Like that's a beautiful image for the future of OW League is truly global.
2: Well, now you've gone on that. I will simply go to my rant and say that I am a very big component of geolocation eSports. I always have been after seeing how my dad has reacted to anything yeah. that has a Minnesota or Boston uh, tilt to it. I think geolocation is incredibly good for esports. And if you were in the crowd there to see how the Australian crowd reacted to an Australian team, I got to tell you, that is a much bigger response than you would get for you know some more random, less focused setup of like, oh, evil geniuses versus TSM. No, you're not going to get that level of crowd reaction for that. You just aren't under normal circumstances. Geolocation yeah. is big, and the uh, crowd in Australia really helped hammer that point home.
0: You know, it'd be nice if we could get, like, a crowd mic, or at least a little bit more of a, a crowd mic whenever we do get shots. I don't know how you I would it. I could hear it pretty well. At I least mean, I could hear Australia it, way. but, I mean, I still don't think it's even, I, I still don't feel like I felt the crowd as much as, you know, just being there. There's, like, this, you know, maybe on a scale of 1 to 10, it's, like, a 2 or a 3 at home, and it's probably a 10 there. So if we could get to, like, a 6 or something like that, that would be actually really sweet from a, at least a home spectator. Um, okay, let's talk about the viewership. So the viewership, I believe, I saw the the stream, I believe, get up to 50K at one point. Um, I wasn't like watching it, you know, the number at least the entire time. But Ben, why don't you, like you probably know the the numbers a lot better. So how high did we get and what kind of viewership do you think we overall we got for the event? Right,
1: so overall for... So, as you guys are aware, there are a lot of foreign language broadcasts for Overwatch World Cup, which have been doing pretty pretty well. Unfortunately, there was no Japanese broadcast, which mm. I would have been so fascinated to see how that might have done. Uh, but for the entire Overwatch game itself, it was peaking towards seventy and 80,000, pretty similar to the Shanghai numbers, but... Uh, So I I haven't gone in and drilled down and looked at exactly at which channels were driving that. But I think it's very fair to say or safe to say that at least 65 to 70K of those viewers were watching the World Cup at peak. Uh, So we're hitting pretty good numbers, getting close to six figures for the group stage, which makes me and, and again. Uh, usually events in Asia have worse viewership than both Mm -hmm. European events and North American events, just conventional wisdom from watching a lot of eSports throughout the last uh, five or six years. Uh, So I'd expect to see more. I'm hoping to see more. Uh, I think this is a really encouraging sign, though, because even contenders finals was only peaking at, what, 30,000, 40,000 viewers at absolute Mm -hmm. max? And then the very earliest stages of the Overwatch World Cup already Doubling that, like actually literally doubling what we had for for contenders, I think just goes to show you that once you have the land setting, once you have the arena setting, you bring in national pride, have the localization aspect, you're going to have a lot more viewers excited in person and online. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm pretty encouraged by these numbers.
2: Well, it's also the power of having more regular events, right? Where... Once you start getting a, uh, a proper esports schedule where you have contenders leading into World Cup, which is going to be leading right back in the contenders, you can maintain a lot of momentum. And I think the really key thing to note here too is that the viewership, of course, it was ga- pulling those numbers with the finals going well into the dead of like night for U.S. viewership uh, <laughs> parts, where you know I think it was ending at like five a.m. Central Time or something like that. So it's, it's to it's have those numbers. <laughs> At those <laughs> times is incredibly promising. And also, I mean, it's promising to think about where things will go when you, say, get to the Santa Monica stage, where then it's going to be full on in a prime U.S. time zone. So viewership has been very good, especially for something where, you know, World Cup it still sort of comes a little bit out of nowhere for people. And, you mm-hmm. know, you're following teams that aren't always together. But for a celebration of the mm-hmm. game, I mean, it was phenomenal.
3: Yeah, yeah, and also like anecdotally, um, the amount of people I was hearing that had tuned into the World Cup and that was their first time actually watching professional Overwatch and actually enjoying it and uh, being enthralled by it, invested by it because of the player's story. It was um, too many to count, but also taking a look at the VOD numbers, if you look at the VOD, uh, the viewership numbers, for the actual Play Overwatch channel, um, a lot of those are around 60, 70K right now. You go onto YouTube, you'll find 60, 70K for Australia versus uh, Japan, Japan versus Finland, all the high profile matches. And so it's great to see that kind of interest when generally, um, if you look at the contenders' finals, um, the. Uh, the OMM finals, those VODs stay around 20K, but within three, four days, I'm telling you, within the last two days, Japan versus Australia, it's already about 60,000 views on YouTube.
0: Yeah. So definitely very very promising and kind of building off that you know anecdote that you just mentioned there, Jamerson. Um, you know there was some discussion at least on Reddit and let me bring it up real quick just because the upvote is such a classic number there. Uh, but there was some discussion on just how to maybe bolster you know viewership on, on the World Cup, and you know maybe some things that Blizzard could do like um, having players have a chance to get a golden loot box while watching Twitch streams and things like that. And Jamerson, we were talking before the show. You mentioned that heroes. Was uh, had announced something similar to this.
3: Yeah, so the Heroes of the Storm team, if you check out the Blizz Heroes uh, Twitter account, they just announced that there's going to be cheering on Twitch, where if you uh, watch their HG- uh, HGC games, you'll be able to earn in-game loot. And so, we already have... Uh, we've already seen that there is um, an ability, you know, with Twitch Prime, getting the golden loot box, that there is some sort of way to build in that kind of system for Overwatch. And... Um, we were talking about this before about how um, the heroes of the heroes of the storm team has bolstered its numbers considerably for the heroes esports scene. Uh, what can you do with Overwatch at that point if you offer the same kind of incentives?
2: Yeah, it's a really cool step forward. Although I will note for that is that I wouldn't necessarily expect it for Overwatch anytime soon. This is coming off of a inside info. This is just objectively looking outside in. Is that? So I know that some of the Heroes promotions have been less than bug-free at points with people not always getting their stuff, but it's manageable because it's Heroes level of numbers. Like, you c- if, if Heroes has a malfunction, even though it is growing in popularity, it's more manageable. These are systems that really have to be fine-tuned for perfection before you open up the floodgates to Overwatch, because if you go to Overwatch and go watch it on Twitch for a golden loot box you might be asking for the servers to just get utterly slammed. If it doesn't work, the reaction is going to be tough. So, I I do think this is, at some point, will totally be a thing for Overwatch. I just don't know if I'd expect it immediately, because there is like a rather big difference in magnitude between heroes and Overwatch when you offer those kinds of incentives. I mean, this was a no-brainer.
1: As The the first time anyone ever did this in esports, I think, was Counter-Strike. I believe it was it was either Counter Strike or Dota Two. I can't quite remember who did drops for watching tournaments, uh, and and also you know expanding on that onto that. Uh, like we just saw announced for Heroes, you mm-hmm. can buy cosmetics and items, and proceeds will go to the players. All of these things have been very effective at driving more revenue into the scene. Um, I mean, I think of it an- as analogous to buying a jersey of your favorite football player. Uh, or a basketball player, uh, if you can do that digitally, it just lowers the barrier and, and money starts flowing into the players' pockets, blizzards' pockets, uh, and then the play- and then the the enthusiasts get actual content, uh, and it just builds hype. It keeps people engaged, gets more viewership. It's such a no brainer. I think it's it's only a matter of time. At least I hope it's only a matter of time, especially <laughs> with OW League, uh, you know, in on the horizon. There's no way that they're not gonna do this
3: yeah i mean speaking of like the revenue stream they've already mentioned that this is something that is in the works right um they i think the number that they had thrown around um for a lot of these announcements about the OWL was that uh, teams would earn 50% of in-game uh purchases regarding their uh regarding their Uh, Items, So it's already in the works. So uh, I'm not worried about it all whatsoever. I think a lot of people now with uh, the more recent announcements about the teams that have bought into the league. And then, of course, all these uh, revenue streams for the teams are are starting to um, quell their fears about the Overwatch League at this point.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I guess one thing to maybe mention is that if there is a time to start trying things, they should try it now. Like, why wait until yes. later when they're, you know, like, Andy you, or um, ZP, you were talking about that, yeah, you have, you might have an issue with just the amount of traffic that might be coming. But right now is the best time because right now is potentially the least amount of traffic that we're going to be getting, you know, for something like this, given that it's well. it's in a state where we're trying to build it up, right? Uh, like I said, I'm mm-hmm. sure it'll be coming at some
2: point. I'm just yeah, noting comes some of the realities there. Yeah, I'm just hoping well, one thing I'll note here too, though, is that like when I look at Overwatch mm-hmm. right now, and people might think, "Oh, this is chilling because you've been doing events where I-, it really isn't." Is that there's so much positive to be looking at, mm-hmm. and I think we've hit into a like weird point where, despite having really positive news, really positive events, especially in like the most recent one, that. you know it's still in a case where both from certain players certain people in the scene (laughs) where there's people that really like don't see those stories as sexy like you're not going to get tons of clicks and retweets and everything else you go everything is fine everything is great and things are getting better etc like you still have this incentive from certain people in the scene to write doom and gloom articles and say blizzard how dare you what are you doing etc and it A lot of that stuff is really unfair if you take a look at just how things are actually evolving, how things are actually pretty darn good.
0: I mean, the the subreddit over the weekend was great. I mean, everybody was, you know, for the most part, uh, talking about all the great things that that was the Sydney group. So um, I know what you mean by that, ZP, Um, and it is important for us to to definitely recognize when things are good. It's just whenever I'm talking about just like more of this, trying to get more viewers, it's one of those things where it's like, I just wish more people would have seen it, you know, like, cause it was so epic. And at times you have this feeling of, man, it's a little bit wasted just because people didn't see how awesome this was. And it's not easy for us to recreate the scenario. You know, it takes. Well, the other luck. thing
2: too, is that like, if you're trying to make a name for yourself and you go to something like Reddit, like you make an arc, make an article going, Hey guys, everything went pretty well. And people are like, yeah, it went pretty well. Like, that's just going to be a very tiny splash, right? Compared to coming up with some crazy or like really exaggerated take about how Blizzard is doing everything <laughs> wrong. Well, that gets more clicks because the people who feel that way are going to like dive in onto it. It's controversial, et cetera. And I don't you're just, know. I mean, you're I, I think you just a shill
0: that... if you're saying things are good, man. You know, that's just <laughs> the Basically. perception. That'd be but I, I, uh,
2: I will say that uh, what you bring up is true. There's a lot of positive feedback from this event. And it also mm-hmm. like, I think- hopefully calms people down a little bit from some of the just more crazier things that have been being said over the last like two months.
0: All right. Well we have Katowice and a week and a half. So why don't we take a look at that and preview our groups and see, see how wrong we can be about this one too, except for Sweden. Right. Okay. We got group E, South Korea, Netherlands, Poland, Austria. Okay. I don't think we can get this one wrong. (laughs) At least Who's going to be on top of this group, but who do you think will be second in this group? Netherlands,
1: yeah, I, th- I think it has to be Netherlands. I mean, we we were, I was very confident about my predictions for the last Overwatch groups uh, World Cup group stage. So, <laughs> what what do I know? Uh, but when I look through this Poland and Austria rosters, I don't see a lot of names that I recognize at all. Uh, I, I don't see any people from uh, from any top pro teams in Europe or America. Uh, and, and I think that alone, the experience that the Netherlands team has here means that they're, they're they've got to go through. I, I think yeah. they have to
3: i was actually watching um netherlands versus germany they were uh they were broadcasting their scrims earlier this morning mm-hmm. and the netherlands looked really strong especially with the way that they had actually um uh, roster because they did bring in about like three support mains Mm -hmm. and we saw the fears of that with team spain um i was a little on on you know uh on the fences about south korea particularly just because you know they didn't bring in my boy miro like (laughs) how do you not have miro for the world cup so i I did have some reservations about mono but (laughs) He looked good. I, I finally caught up on on the South Korean VODs that they were um, they were broadcasting, right? Their scrims against X6 and Kung du And once again, my fears quelled. Uh, they're looking good. I'm pretty sure they're going to be walking away with a victory um, for the World Cup.
2: Well, and just to add on here, Cup. we haven't <laughs> gotten into talking about Group F yet, but I would yeah. actually... Right now, I think there's actually significant reason to believe that the two teams coming out of uh, Poland might just be both South Korea and Netherlands, because just things from what I hear behind really? the scenes and things i have seen, no, I think Canada, like, so there's this wow. perception people think Canada <laughs> okay. is going to do well, and maybe they will, but from everything I've heard and seen from behind the scenes, I'm not really at all convinced that Canada is getting out of and not not only am I not convinced that they're not necessarily getting out of Poland they might not even get to the playoff uh, match
0: so are all these uh, technical issues following them around that they had in, in at E3 or what? I mean, what? Why? why is I mean, that they were
2: get as far as I re, I've heard from different people, they were having the same results against Team USA when there weren't technical issues. So I mean, it's yeah, but that was weeks uh, I, ago now. I mean, that's like a whole month now, right? That's gone sure, away. but I mean, I'm just saying I haven't really heard the most convincing things about where Canada is, and probably the biggest reason is that it, we've seen tank and support cores be really big to teams going forward, and even though Canada has a great DPS duo when agility isn't sure for, they really they've had to put Mangachu into the flex role, and it's not something he's super comfortable in. Mm. XQC, while a good tank, is a good tank when playing with supports that he's had a longer time with, and within that specific core, he's had a harder time adapting with Canada. So, from what I've heard. So, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe Canada gets her stuff together. In theory, there's a lot of talent to bring them up and over the top but i think people could be surprised there i've also heard russia has cracks as well so we'll see where that goes there's also in terms of wild card stuff there singapore probably has the biggest chance of being the sleeper team that does really well so if we ended up with something (laughs) more like another it was (laughs) russia and singapore in the playoff matches i wouldn't necessarily
3: be surprised wow at this point, though, um, just because both teams have really strong Genjis and we've seen what a really strong Genji can do up against some of these more pug teams, I'm not terribly worried about Canada and uh, Russia actually both making it out of the group. I would be. Like, First of all, do you
2: really think Shadowburn is the same level of player he was when he was the best Genji in the game for a while? Because if, uh, I, if, I, if I'm being facing honest,
3: up I... against like these unknowns like Singapore and Turkey, I, I, I really don't worry that much.
0: Yeah, but I mean, how much is how much of Shadowburn's you know reputation has really followed him, you know, given
2: you know compared to actually what he's done recently? No, he hasn't had the same level of success recently because yeah. I don't think he's been hanging the game as hard. Like there's a very, very noticeable decline in Shadowburn from his uh late 2016 form to his form in 2017. He has not been the same player. And there's a case where people go, well, gee, it's harder to do wells again, Gee. It's like yeah, but we still see really good Genji play. And typically, we don't see it as much from Shadowburn as of late. I don't think you should sleep on Singapore. That is, like, as far as the different regions in that area go, we know that Singapore can put up good results. So, I I, I don't know. Like I said, going into this, I think that people might look at this and go, oh, it's 2016. Canada and Russia are going to do great.
1: Right. Maybe. There's right.
2: plenty right. of ways that I could see both Canada and Russia self-destructing uh, pretty heavily, especially if, against, say, South Korea or Netherlands in playoff matches.
1: I, I mean, I don't doubt you, ZP, but on paper, this Canada team looks so strong to me. I and mean, you've got Rulf, one of the best supports, uh, one of the best Anos and Zens in NA. You've got Shurfor, who needs no introduction. Agilities, Genji extraordinaire. Uh, Mangachu is really, we called this out when the team was first formed as well, is Megachu is the one player that doesn't stand out as like, Oh my God, he's incredible in his in, in the role he's playing. Uh, but this team still, on paper, looks so good. I mean, I have a
0: giant upset if they don't come out of the group stage. Uh, I, I think a lot of people I
2: mean, it would be super disappointing if Canada didn't come out of this. Uh, I will note, as far as this goes here, like, I do kind of hope that Canada matches up against Singapore on day one, just because, like, if anything has the ability to recapture uh, Japan versus Spain, it would probably be Canada v. Singapore, potentially. And again, just to caveat all of this, there's a possibility Canada gets it together and is able to gel really well by the time of the setup. But I'm just saying, if Canada doesn't do well, do not be surprised. The warning signs have been there, like, well in the lead-up
3: like ultimately what if they do like the same thing as Spain right and just go ahead and run triple dps and uh, just kind of like roll over everyone yeah, seriously stages. like it's it uh, definitely we saw that uh, you don't particularly need the diva it's just much safer to have the diva and you can still run that triple dps composition yeah they're
0: much more equipped to run the triple
2: dps that's for sure ah. Yeah, I mean, they are, but on the same note, like, the triple DPS did really work for Spain because of how ridiculously good of a soldier uh, Harry Hook is. They would have to run a different variant of it there because, have, I mean, sure, can run a good s- soldier, but I don't think he would be running it. in this case. He'd be running the Tracer, so I don't necessarily know if they have as good of a triple DPS setup.
0: Yeah, You know, one thing I didn't mention when we were talking about Sydney and just Spain in particular— and, you know, being forced to run the triple DPS. You now they tried. They tried to run Diva, and it was just a, a huge failure. Um, was this an issue of selecting teams? You know, are we, you know, like, because the thing is, is, they could have changed rosters. The thing about the World Cup roster is that it was flexible. Like, you could still add people at, at different times. You know, you didn't have to have the same roster in groups as you do, like, you know, in BlizzCon eventually. So why wouldn't you choose a roster that actually has a good Diva? Uh, and not be forced into this situation. I mean, they were even, Spain was even forced to play, you know, roles that they didn't even were naturally the, you know, were naturally fitted for. It. And Canada is going to be in the same, ish, I think, in the same state if they have to play a diva too. So, um, what are your thoughts on that? Did they choose did the committees
2: Just choose wrong? Well, for Canada, yes, I think you would have been <laughs> much better putting Train on the roster over Mangachu. Like, although I'm, I heard there might be something where Train couldn't play. So, if it's a case where Train couldn't go, well. That yeah that, that was that's what, Jake, but I, that's what Jake it, said right he couldn't if train was available he would have been a far better choice for the flex tank pick
3: it, it might have just come down to the committee because well um you do have Mingachu on the committee but also um <laughs> huck is on there and i i had heard i'm not making you know any kind of like uh statements here i had heard huck that was largely um hands off with the selection of the teams, so it might have just been a lot of power, you know. In one, I will confirm
2: team. that I heard the same thing from other people that were involved with Team Canada. So that was okay.
0: All right, so I guess we'll have to see what happens there. I mean, how awesome would it be if if Poland did something though? Just you know, hometown crowd oh, yeah. again in Katowice too. That would be pretty sweet to see. But uh, definitely predictions I mean, right now is that are they're not going to be doing much.
3: Like, ultimately, you just have to, like, remember that, um, yeah, Netherlands and South Korea are super strong. (laughs) But I think at this point, um, after two stops, teams have realized you can't sleep on anyone. You have to put your best foot forward on every single match or, well, shit happens. (laughs)
0: Or you got a team that just goes full aggro and you and just runs you over because you weren't ready for it. Um, all oh,
1: right. Does, it, does anyone know which arena this is in? Is this in Spodek where they've uh, had like all I those... think it's the
3: ESL arena. Okay. okay. Yeah.
1: If it was in Spodek, that'd be sweet, man. Because that, that's the one where they've done like, uh, like a ton of really memorable it's the bowl, esports right? tournaments. Every, yeah. every yeah. Like, it's IEM
3: the bowl. kind of say, yeah. And
1: I think that's like a 18,000 person capacity arena. That would yeah. be insane. I wouldn't be surprised if they fill it because Polish eSports fans are intense, dude. We are, man. I mean, We just oh, had yeah. the CSGO major there last uh, mm. last week. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, I will say, though, uh, about the second group here, at very least, Russia versus Canada is a story storyline in itself. Just two teams or two countries that have gone at it in hockey for, like, decades and decades. <laughs> like, now they're going to go out into Overwatch.
0: I think that's pretty exciting. yeah. yeah. Definitely. All right. Well, let's wrap up World Cup. Definitely, again, lots to see in a week and a half. There's a there's a break this week, guys. So, Cavite continues a week after that, and then the US right after that, right? I think it's a week after the um the the US groups is the a week after Cavite, right? ZP, mm-hmm. you're doing that one, right?
2: Yeah, uh, what's it called? So I have yeah. the basically two weeks off and then uh, heading to Santa Monica with my good friend and colleague who is Hangout Chat Hex, so uh, <laughs> good. we'll be casting it up there. Cool, and Jameson,
0: you're at Cavite, right?
3: I will be at Katowice, and I'm pretty sure I'll be at Santa Monica just for funsies, so I get to watch everyone else having to work all day. 30 minutes away, so
0: yeah. Yeah. I'd be remiss not to. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyways, good luck there. I can't wait to see you guys uh, again back on the desk and casting. But uh, before we move on, I do want to give a reminder to the folks that you know, maybe just only watch the overview, we're actually available on iTunes as well as Google Play and SoundCloud too if you want to listen to us on the way to work or if you're working out or whatever, just you know with your iPhone. Uh, and the folks that uh, recently left us you know, five-star reviews, definitely want to give a shout-out to them just because uh, leaving ratings and stuff helps f- for, um, with finding the overview whenever you're searching for Overwatch Podcasts on iTunes. So a big shout-out to Wolfric, K123477, and Z- Y Zane for uh, leaving some nice words and feedback for us. Uh, and But let's move on to community here. So we got another interesting topic in terms of just what's going on obviously in the subreddit and recently there was some news of dsp stanky who is very very well known for uh playing lucio a lot of you know youtube videos with with dsp stanky doing some amazing things especially early in in overwatch and has continued you know since then and obviously he streamed too well there's uh, he did a, a twit longer i believe recently just talking about him moving away from overwatch you know it's just been burnt out playing overwatch and really wants to take a break from it so uh he's starting to to move away from it some people have been talking about tim you know the Tatman man also not playing overwatch as much recently so there's obviously this narrative about is this dive comp or the continued meta you know the meta that we've had for months now hurting the game is it hurting the streaming side of things now not just like the competitive side, but the actual streaming uh, side of things, and uh, and on top of that, you know, there's some PC bang numbers coming out, right, and people obviously pointing at that too. So I figured we would have this discussion and see what you guys think.
2: Um, well, let me just let's leave the PC bang of stuff aside and okay, go sure. to the first two things because I think those are the two things that are actually the least related of all th- stuff here. Because look. It, it, it's really uh, sexy to go oh it's clearly because of this stuff that people are complaining about and that's why they're stepping away streaming any game for two to three years when you're on a you know six to ten hour a day schedule i don't care how good the game is you are going to get burnt out over time <laughs> that is a reality of streaming period it doesn't like because it is your job at that point and then that doubles up when you are playing a support like Lucio, and you're doing mostly... I I, I know DSP's case he does uh, things other than Lucio, but if that has still been the bulk of your gameplay, there's absolutely no way, if you're forcing yourself on a standard streaming schedule, that you are going to feel great about playing ranked as a support for that long. And it's not... Uh, I really don't think it's a game issue at that point. It's... Uh, streaming is hard. People really underestimate how hard it is to stream and particularly to keep up the same style of content day in and day out so yes people are going to get burnt out over time it happens
1: yeah i think that's that's what this is guys it's it's people individuals getting burnt out i mean I, i i hate to sound like a broken record but this is probably like the fifth or sixth time there's been a meta that's gotten stale Uh, in Overwatch's history since it came out in May of last year. It's been, what, 14, 15 months? And every three months or so, we go through the same exact thing, it feels like. The community really overreacts to this perception that a a single meta is dominating the game so much that it makes it unfun, makes it unplayable. Everyone's going to leave. The game's terrible. Blizzard is too slow at balancing. And then balance comes. And things change. It always happens. I will give you I will give you this meta has been going on for a bit longer than any of the previous ones, but this is like the fifth time this has happened where the community overreacts to an extreme uh, about the meta being stale or whatever, or and, and then and then they see like Surefor or, or like DSP Stanky or or or, or, or Taimu most recently be like this game sucks I hate the meta it's no it's not fun for me anymore and everyone's like yeah. It, that's what's gonna like, happen. Everything's gonna <laughs> die now. It's like, no, no, oh, no. is gonna <laughs> really come in two days. Doomfist is coming in two days. People. It, it's Game just out.
3: interesting that like yeah. if people try to like attribute this to the meta being stale. I mean, it, it's stinky. Playing Lucio. Lucio's never gone out of fashion. I mean, he's dropped from I believe like the S tier ranking where he's used ninety five or ninety six percent of the time to A ranking, and he's still up there at ninety percent usage. Like, I uh, think he has no shortage of games where he's playing the Lucio, and it's become actually a lot more fun game for Lucio to play into the dive uh, because, well, you're a lot more engaged as a Lucio. You have to peel for your supports. You have to go and dive also um, with the rest of your team. Like, this is possibly the best gameplay you could ever get out of a um, out of a Lucio player.
2: Well, yeah. Let me put it this way, too, when it comes to streaming as well, and this comes from my experience in streaming, but look even when you're more on the bleeding edge and you can, like, get the win rates a little bit more in your favor, right? If you're streaming for 10 hours a day in a game with matchmaking, what does matchmaking try to do? Matchmaking tries to give you a 50% win rate. Now, think about the... Just think about what this does then for a minute. That means that for a 10-hour play session, on average, unless you are really on the super top end where you could break matchmaking you are going to be losing for five hours of every day that you do a ten-hour stream. And of those losses, probably maybe a quarter of them are going to be brutal losses, because that's how matchmaking works, where of your losses, a few of them are going to be ones where you're just getting kicked in the junk. Yeah, I mean... The fact that people like... I'm just saying, like, Mm -hmm. I think that's my time at Heroes. I felt very burnt down on streaming, and luckily Overwatch casting uh, sort of came around at the right time for me to go, All right, I'm going to do Overwatch. But it's just I, I'm just saying, particularly when it comes <laughs> to streamers and burnout, I don't put much stock into it at all, and I don't think you can attribute other game issues to be like ah clearly it's because of this. It's like no, I.
0: Well, don't I, I mean, I think that I definitely agree with you for sure that <laughs> burnout with streaming has more to do with just the streaming life, and, and we see more we see it more and more. Any streamer that only focuses on one game, you know, isn't a variety streamer. Goes through this this phase, you know. Even in Hearthstone, like I, there was a tweet by Strifecrow yesterday that said he's he's taking a step back from pl- you know streaming Hearthstone for until the expansion comes out, which is you know only three weeks or something like that. But still, you know, it happens in every single game because you just can't play the same game for eight to ten hours, and you know, and have to stream it too, not just like play it on your own, but have to stream it too and be up and entertaining or whatever, like for. I don't know, 250 days out of the year. It's like really, really hard to do that. So, uh,
2: unless you get, unless you cultivate uh, what I like to call the cult of Crip, where Crip, like, granted, if you go back to his very early streams, he was more energetic, but like, people are just like, Crip has actually built into his personality just being disenthused at the games he plays, where are just saying, There's like, whatever, God. I'm just playing, whatever. You know, I- I'm Crip, get at me. And like, it actually works because even if he's not having as much fun as normal, like, that's what people go to Crip's stream for. So it works out really yeah, well, like, as compared to, say, other different. streamers, yeah. where where people go for them to be, like, highly energetic and entertaining. Like, you know, for example, if you take a look at Seagull's stream, Seagull might be facing burnout at some point. I think there's been some there because he's built his reputation as a streamer that's really energetic and talking to people. And you're not just, like, looking at his face yeah. cam as he gets top decked and wrecked. So yeah. I, I I don't know. I mean, it's every, difficult every, to keep that up on a consistent basis.
0: Yeah, I mean, all the streamers feel the same way. It's one of those things, and every everybody that's streamed knows that the moment you don't stream... You're losing subs, you know, so like you, you force yourself to stream as a job and and people like Crip are able to do it and they're very, you know, vigilant about doing or very, very, very good about doing it and disciplined about doing it. But most people can, you know, we cannot sustain that for just like, again, 250, 300 days a, a year. I mean, that's just like too much. So this is natural. DSP's saying he's, he's going to be playing other games. You know, he'll probably come. I, I can see Stanky coming back at some point. I mean, th- these people walk away; don't, they don't, doesn't mean they they don't come back. So, well, um, okay, and so how, st- how much st- of st- it st- has to actually do with the Dive Comp? But like kind of like circling true. back, yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to say whether these are just it, it's just, it's just timing issues, right? It's just coincidence, I think, that these people are burnt out at the same time. This meta is is uh, you know kind of winding, maybe winding down, or at least Doomfist coming out like in, in a week or whatever.
2: Well, I mean, let's just be clear. Generally speaking, most streamers come back because they like money and they realize that it be switching to other Jeez, games. Is man, I mean, that's not completely true. I <laughs> it, mean, it is. No, come I, on. I'm being somewhat realistic here, though, is that um, uh, streaming wise, if you haven't built yourself up to be variety, what will happen is that if you take a break from a game and go to another game, you will see that your viewership drops to 10% of what yeah, you normally absolutely. have. If you are lucky, and then you realize, you look at your Twitch stats, and you see that, oh, like, for example, I was making, doing Heroes of the Storm, just off ads, a lot of days I was getting anywhere from, like, 150 to $300 before counting subs and everything else. And then, so I look at my average Heroes Day, wow, this is really good. I stream another game, It was like, oh, like, so, I mean, <laughs> you do get stuck into a love-hate and, oh, God, I like making money yeah, type of yeah. Michael as a streamer no
0: absolutely yeah to- totally um so in terms of i guess bringing up the pc bang now so is, is this a different discussion in your eyes ZD? or is this this have nothing to do with the the, the actual meta or uh, or just even um, new content like we cuz we've have seen this before right we've definitely seen a, a drop in in the pc bangs and then when a new character comes out or maybe a new map comes out we see you know just this tick, this rise again So, are we just in a valley right now and are about to see an uptick when Doomfist is out?
2: I think we will see an uptick when Doomfist comes out because, again, this is now the case of why is there a downturn? It's very easy to go, oh, pro players are complaining about the meta, where, by Mm -hmm. the way, pro players complain about the meta in every game. It's not just an Overwatch-specific thing, okay? It's easy to link the two and be like, oh, people are complaining about meta. It's the meta. That's why you're seeing less numbers when... In reality, I would probably trend more towards the argument that I think Arissa was a little bit of an underwhelming hero, at least compared to other heroes that had crazier reception. Absolutely. Yeah, I, and uh, and I think that actually hurt quite a bit. Doomfist has a lot more positive hype. Not only is it something that people speculate on since the beginning, but he has a really cool kit. So it's maybe the meta hurt that. I mean, you can't discount it, but I don't think there's necessarily tons of proof saying that the meta caused the PC bang downturn either. Let's see how the numbers look like after Doomfist and Recony. Speaking of Doomfist,
0: it's actually out in two days. So it's coming on in Thursday. And I guess the questions here are, is it going to be on the rank ladder right away? And then are we going to see it at Katowice in the World Cup? Or are they going to be using an old build? They're going to be using
2: a a previous version. I I can already tell you what you're seeing on World Cup-wise is that Doomfist will be playable in round of eight and up on BlizzCon okay. weekend. He's not okay. going to be playable in any of the group stages. That's good. <laughs> Man, that would be
0: crazy just if Doomfist just no. immediately took yeah. effect and people, whoever just <laughs> l- realized some kind of exploit right from the start ends up having success.
3: Yeah, yeah a, a no lot of these he's... teams yeah, just don't have um, the time to actually deal with it. I mean, mm-hmm. we were hearing stories from um, during Sydney, a lot of those teams like they had only been scrimming for about a week beforehand just because of, well, you know, a lot of the envious players, they were still in Korea and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's no way that Blizzard throws that much of a rent, uh, wrench into things.
1: Oh, yeah, uh, so th- I, there's no way it's getting into the, either of the next World Cup uh, qualifiers. I didn't hear that from Blizzard. This just, that just seems obvious to me. I, I, that would be shocking if it was. I am curious about Contenders, though, because Contenders is coming up in a couple of weeks, and oh, Doomfist will have been out for a while. I think that Uh, that should be really exciting. I would assume he will be playable. a good way to hype him. I'm not saying
2: this from any any official info whatsoever, by the way. This is just gut feel based on how it's been handled in the past and whatnot. But I would very much imagine that Doomfist would be fair game for uh, Mm -hmm. the upcoming Contenders season. Because at that point, I mean, you stop and think of that, right? Contenders is uh, publicly stated to be starting the week of August 14th. So, So basically after the... Uh, Santa Monica group stage. Mm-hmm. And if it's starting that week, that means Doomfist will have been out for close to a month at that point, plus the time that he was on PTR. I think Doomfist is easily fair game for Contenders Season 1. Oh, yeah. You know, so.
0: you know, with Overwatch League and like Contenders being such a h- huge focus for Overwatch, and we, you know, obviously we know that a lot of people don't care about the competitive scene yet and and esports, but we know the team does. You know, like the, the development team as well as the esports team care a lot about Overwatch League. When are they going to send like match up releases <laughs> to not be like in the middle of major events like the World Cup? You think we'll ever get to that day, or you think it's always going to be this type of different development cycle and an esports schedule?
1: Yeah, just don't the fact
3: that
0: oh, go ahead,
1: go I, ahead I just don't see how they, they mix it up because you're going to have over you're going to have league content running all year long. I mean, Overwatch League is not supposed to be the whole year, but then mm-hmm. then you'll have World Cup and then you'll have the off-season right. stuff. So there's exactly. never ever going to be a good time, I don't think. And people always want changes. I mean, people I in, it's in gonna chat be tough, right man. now, are talking about the fact that uh Blizzard isn't fast enough. They should release more content faster. So there's never
0: a good time to do it. I know. And, and we don't see that in sports. You know, the NBA doesn't change the three-point line distance in the middle of a season. You know, and mm-hmm. we don't see rule changes like that typically in sports. So, this will be something that you know they're gonna have to figure out too. And maybe eventually, the community and 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 uh, user base would just be more accepting of just not having changes until every nine months or something like that. That would be crazy. <laughs> I think uh, I can't envision envision that. But at least from the standpoint of having a stabilized, you know, esport that
2: might have to be a a way to go. Yes and no. I mean, I think you can make pretty compelling arguments on both sides there, which is that what are you judging competition on? Are you judging it on it always being the stable platform for X amount of time? Or on some level, do you also want to judge teams on their ability to adapt? Like basically how much do you embrace the esports side of things and what elements do you side the blend into a traditional sporting model? I think that you can have reasonable arguments there. And one of the arguments that comes in, of course, is that your game is is an evolving product you have heroes that are added throughout uh content that is added uh, maps etc and then it's just figuring out well how do you what areas do you blend in because it makes for a better viewing experience and arguably better competition how much do you say no you can stand this i can tell you that i would never really expect to have a situation where you just have only one version of a game being played for an entire like uh season of Whatever uh, it may be, sure, like sure. I, I don't think that I don't think that would be a case. So, I I, I don't know. I, I think for me, I tend to trend to the ideas that I'm perfectly willing to make teams adapt to new stuff as it comes out. So,
3: but then it's also on the dev team to make sure that doesn't
2: break the game
3: too too hard. Right, right. Yeah, okay. I mean, ultimately, oh, it's okay. about like having a tournament client. I would say, right. Uh, I I believe League of Legends you do have that tournament client where you can in certain patches, but that's just not a reality right now for Overwatch. And so it does make it that much more volatile for the team to even like try to attempt to play on certain patches. Like Even attempting to play like Doomfist on PTR in preparation for him dropping isn't the same because there have been so many changes to it. So it's, unless there's something stable like a tournament client, it's just not feasible.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, well, anyway, speaking of the developer, Jeff Goodman came out with a post uh, about an hour ago now, or maybe a couple hours ago, and uh, talked about a potential balance change to... A Roadhog, and he is recommending having a 20 to 30 percent damage reduction on, on hog while he is inhaling, like sentry mode for Bastion. So, uh, it, this will increase his survivability without giving old charges to enemies attacking him. Okay, what do you guys think of this? You know, ba- basically well, it's, it's keep him parts. alive. Yeah, oh, and uh, also a oh, 50%
1: reduction. To, yeah, well, 50% reduction, mm-hmm. and he can walk while taking a breather, so he doesn't, he can keep moving. And oh, both, wow. of, I think okay. both of those are, like, equally big. I mean, uh, obviously, like, Roadhog is an alt battery more, almost more than any other character in the game because if he does actually get the opportunity to take that breather, that's free alt charge. Easy peasy for tracers. So now it's going to be harder to hit him. He's going to be much more survivable <laughs> oh, when, when running away. I think this is going to make it so Roadhog can poke, and then if he doesn't land that hook, he's not just, like, a sitting duck. Uh, I think these are interesting changes. I'd, I'd I'd like to see this on PTR as soon as possible.
0: All right,
3: Jamerson, what do you think, man? Um, I feel like you might also need to just like buff his healing numbers, just because when the healing nerfs came in, it was in a drastically different state of Overwatch. There are a lot of things that you know never really got touched uh, since like the. Uh, since the zero hero limit days that i think they do need to you know fall back on and really try to look at a bit more um i mean they just recently did that with winston zarya is still you know um she's still up in the air whether or not some of her numbers are going to be revisited but i I think he could also use just a, a a slight tick up on the amount of healing he actually does also
0: okay uh zp any any takes on this
2: Sorry, I did oh. not. My internet just completely cut out for oh. a moment there. Like, I was trying <laughs> well, to figure... Any takes August. on, what's your
0: what's your take on the, the potential Roadhog um, balance uh, changes? Okay,
2: which... so the generally the Roadhog stuff, and hopefully you can hear me now, and it's not roboting yep, I can hear you, you now. Um, okay, good. Uh, so the Roadhog stuff. I don't know. I mean, I, I will say personally, and this is where... I, I'm going to try and put my personal bias aside here, but I have he enjoyed like being out of the meta for a while, <laughs> to be totally honest. Him being tankier while still being in the sort of damage role is a little weird. I don't know. I guess we'll see. I, I'm willing to keep possibilities open. I just... I, I would... Still, for me, and this is going off into own personal bias land, there's part of me that I would like to see quick work to be something that was more skill-based smaller hitbox and, you know, maybe give him something cool that works with that rather than basically keeping hook the same and just going, all right, well, now you're just tanking and can run in and around. I, I, I don't
0: know. I, yeah. It, also- would, it would take a major redesign <laughs> if you were to, to change him in that fashion at this point. So another option that he, uh, Jeff mentioned too, that he's thinking about is just covering his head hitbox while inhaling which um, essentially achieves the same thing, which is d- reducing d- damage again you know, while he's inhaling. So clearly he's dying way too easily, <laughs> you know, and they're trying to figure out some ways of, of keeping him alive a little bit longer. We'll have to see. Definitely see if it ends up uh, making it to uh, the PTR or even just straight out in the game. Um, but next bit that we have got some player and team news. Uh, so the first thing is that Numlock is no longer on energy so um basically twitter that says he's a free agent uh and so this doesn't didn't sound like this was any kind of surprise it was like something i, I think that numlock kind of understood was in the making and the I, I think the exact quote was that they were looking for more of a shot caller or at least some, some type of shot caller of coming from the the tank role and he really wasn't, or he didn't really want to do that, so he um, decided to to move on, or at least go se- separate ways. But uh, yeah, any thoughts on him leaving Energy? He's been on Energy for a long time now, so. Um.
2: Well, it's not really that surprising, and I mean, let's be frank about a few things here. Numlock's best showing as a player, as a tank, was in the middle of 2016, and it was arguably back when his team, rather than being Dignitas, was Creation. So. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that tank play has really leveled up dramatically since then, and we've never had any proof that Numlocks could play at the same level as the new era of tanks that we've been seeing, where tank play has gotten so much better, both Mm -hmm. in the form of Korean players uh, playing tank and coming over, and also in the form of uh, some of the rising new stars, your uh, supers of the world, and yes, even players like XQC, where he's been doing really, really well. Numlock's never been able to show that he's been able to play at that level of gameplay, so I mean, the fact that NRG finally is deciding to cut ties right now, I'm not I don't really see how you can be surprised at it. Look, it's harsh to say that. Numlocked is a good guy, but at some point, you have to have performance, and he definitely didn't look very good in the showing with NRG.
0: Right. Sorry, guys, we're having some issues with the cams here, but we'll, uh, we'll keep talking <laughs> while we're doing this. Um, yeah. Uh, Ultimately, Jamerson, it's take?
3: Yeah, ultimately, it is about leveling up your game. Um, we're seeing, you know, some renewed interest in the tank role now. Before you know, just hold right click, press W, move forward, and make sure your shield doesn't get broken and you're holding it up at the right time. Um, but with like the shifts that we've seen, like a lot of DPS players going to um, going off onto the support roles and things like that. Uh, shot calling is a very viable skill that you need to be able to have, especially as a Winston player, as your main tank player for your team. Um, We were talking to a lot of the players from different uh, countries, right? Um, And you will ask anyone lo- down the line, there are two shot callers on your team. It's either going to be your Lucio Zen uh, along with your Winston. Uh, someone needs to coordinate that dive once again it's in the back line. Some people have, you know, gotten the option of like trying to maybe use their Tracer or their Genji player as that also, like that. Um, uh, i guess real-time shot calling as opposed to just like setting up and calling ultimates but it- it's a skill and if you don't level up with it you are going to be left in the dust and unfortunately you know numlock never really picked up the winston that well and he just i guess doesn't have that shot calling um prowess there and it is a very difficult beast to take on
2: well also just to add on and supplant that point or uh let's play support uh You also have the entire thing where you take a look at Portugal, right? Where Portugal, you had Gray and Malzasa really pulling together a team for Portugal that really didn't have a lot of known talent in the other roles. And just off shot calling and coordination alone, they were able to be incredibly impactful. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said about this particular thing. And I would just go back and say that objectively, if you are looking at player performance, numlocked, really didn't have a lot of good game tape to show about his play as a player since the middle of last year in a incredibly competitive and involving time sphere. So again, it's not I maybe we'll see if he can have a rebound. up. certainly mm-hmm. hopefully he's a good guy, but end of the day you do have to get results. You are in a results-based industry.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I'm
2: not surprised by this one.
1: I this is something I kind of struggle with on the show, I'll be honest, because I I am but a commentator and like a high Masters, low GM player, so who am I to talk? But uh, from from watching the team, it seemed pretty damn clear to me that they have a lot of issues, but NumLock certainly wasn't helping them along. So not a surprise at all. Now, I I guess just the the question for me, why why is everyone spamming WhatFace in chat?
2: Uh, The champion is... Uh, Something it's not us. Oh, I swear. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. I'm trying my mic messed up? My, uh, no, no, uh, not, but yeah, I, not I, not I
1: anyway. wasn't surprised at all. Now, I guess the, the just the next question is: Does NRG blow up this team and start from scratch? I mean, what, what's even left at this point? You you still got IDDQD, Hard Blue, uh, and and the others still hanging around. But what's really left of this of this roster? Are they scrimming right now? Are they practicing right now? Is NRG just going to start from scratch? That Those are the questions lingering in my mind, mm-hmm. especially so because they are my team. They are my San Francisco NRG. <laughs> That's true. Uh, That's so true. I'm really curious to know where they're going to go. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I think pretty clearly right now, I mean, if I'm NRG, I, I do consider blowing it up top to bottom. And mm-hmm. uh, starting with another team that either is very good already or... You know, basically taking more of a morals approach where you take a team that's really good and maybe add a few case areas where you know that the player's gonna be an upgrade. But, and this is not even saying about the individual players that might still be left, but you've been struggling and trying to rebuild with the same core for ages and ages. And yes, now Dummy is off the team, Numblocked is off the team. At some point, like at least start with a base that you know can get results because NRG has floundered. And by far has almost certainly the least uh, success to money spent ratio, like in the entire game. It's probably <laughs> not even close. So, I mean, it's at some point you got to start it. To
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's fair. Just to you know, kind of go back to square one. I can't see them not having Seagull on that team. But um, you know, I, I think for the most part, though, they they should really reevaluate, take a look at you know possibly. You know, just starting at at least square one or two. <laughs> uh, but hey, guys, when you get a chance, join rejoin the the, the channel if you can. Um, but the next bit of news that we have is also that Tempo Storm has dropped their Overwatch team too. And Tempo Storm obviously competed again in the contenders, so um, you know, seeing that it's kind of a bummer. And there's this actual bingo board that we have uh, that somebody made like a long time ago. That kind of shows just all the teams now that have been you know obviously taking a step back from uh Overwatch and you know it's uh it we haven't quite gotten a bingo yet but it's getting there uh it's getting pretty close to getting a bingo so um anyways thoughts on tempest storm i guess taking a step back any different than all the other teams we've seen recently same story you think or or maybe there's some other reason
2: well I mean, I'll take this one, I guess, to start with, because you know, I've been affiliated with Tempo off and on. Uh, mm-hmm, yeah. I, I guess something to he- note here is that I don't have any direct knowledge of the situation, but I mean, it's a case where obviously if you're trying to attract funding, the again, the things like Overwatch League and otherwise, it helps if you have a team that's in contenders right now, uh, and I'm sure it was a very big disappointment that they weren't able to get in contenders, but there's also the case, I mean, the talk about endemic orgs in general, people look at this, and they're freaking out, etc. is that, I mean, you take a look on the other end where Overwatch League is having big investment from bigger groups, not every one of these endemic uh, orgs, in fact, most of them do not necessarily have the money to go into that. And there's a case where right now the orgs are sort of feeling glum about it where they don't want to be in a situation where, say, they go to, say, become a contender's team and that's uh, what they're at because they can't get in the Overwatch League and then they lose their players. So I think for the endemic orgs, it's about figuring out where they fit into the landscape or uh, how they should fit at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ben, any thoughts? Any different for you? No, pretty much, pretty similar.
1: Yeah. Uh, remember when Tempo Storm had two teams? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I know for a fact that oh, Rain yeah. Ed, uh really believes in this game. Um, well, I spoke to him way back, like uh, yeah, in beta
0: for sure. like, like oh, that's right, the same
1: packs of last year, and he was just incredibly excited about the future of this game. Really believes in the OWL model, and and really wanted to have his brand be part of that. So it's just another one of those teams. Like, that I I don't think it's any different than what we've seen before. And it's actually kind of similar to what we've seen uh, recently with like Mavi Star Riders. Because Temple Storm was actually doing better recently than they had. Like, they actually had yeah. some good performances in in, uh, in contenders, I believe. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't think it's too different, uh, but it is a big, uh, another kind of blow and a kind of surprise because I know just how much Raynad believes in this game.
2: One thing that I think is really important to note here, though, is that this is where people, it, it's a sort of squash of this. This is where people get all crazy about going, oh my God, this is terrible for Overwatch, etc. is that. Remember the model that is being put forward here, and also remember how the endemic teams work, where it, it's a case where they're, you know, you market to sponsor and go, look, we're X org we're involved in the highest levels of competition, and there is obviously a buy-in to the highest levels of Overwatch competition, so you can't really mark, endemic orgs can't market the same way that they could in other games, and But that doesn't necessarily mean that's a bad thing, given the level of support and investment that something like Overwatch League is getting. So we're heading into a different landscape, but it's not necessarily bad where things are going. In fact, uh, there's a lot of very positive things to note as you go into the future. So, I mean, obviously, for the players involved, it's unfortunate. They're going to have to look for new homes all the rest. But we're in a transitionary period right now. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, uh, we got some uh, question, or at least an email question from uh, Andrew B. Here. Uh, if you guys are interested in participating in our Q and A segment each week, go ahead and send an email to the overview at chammbv.tv, and we'll be sure to, uh, you know. Definitely check it out and see if we can answer some questions here. Andrew B uh, had something to add to our conversation last week, which we talked about spec mode and you know some of the different ideas we we were throwing out there, and he actually has one that's pretty or a few that are pretty interesting. Um, uh, first off, he thinks that in 2CP last point escort stall scenarios, we should be watching from the perspective of the attacking player with the safest positioning. This is often the Zenyatta, who plays far back and can see the whole fight, or a soldier who is perched on high ground. In general, watching from a support player's view makes the viewing experience uh, more palatable. It is great to watch DPS when a fight is breaking out to see high-octane plays, but in the cleanup, it might be better to watch support and tanks. Also, he suggests uh, during a round, first-person spectators should stick almost exclusively, uh, exclusively to one team. The caster should state before each round which team would be would be watched on the stream, and this should help cut down confusion and make the spectator's job easier. Okay, so a few suggestions there in terms of really focusing on one team, you know, being the attacking team more so than than having it jump from different teams and different perspectives uh, and things like that. So, what's your take on that? Ben, I'll have you start first, and then we'll kind of swing around yeah. down to Jamerson. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I sort of disagree with the general notion that you should always stick on a certain type of hero. Like, mm-hmm. he's not even just saying DPS. He's, like, saying, like, safe DPS from a high ground or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um Uh, I sort of disagree with that or or, or like Zenyatta because he's always, he usually is pretty far back and like observing the whole scene. Uh, I I don't really disagree with that. Like I think it's important for, uh, for observers to kind of show a little bit of every role because people tuning in are specialists in every different role. Mm -hmm. A Lucio main wants to see Lucio gameplay. A Winston main wants to see, where the Winston decides to position and exactly when he presses E to drop that shield. Like those things are really important for those players. So I can understand, you know, I I can buy like, oh, maybe you should watch Zenyatta's position like a little bit more often because you typically see more of the fight. But to make that like a hard and fast rule, I think would be a mistake. Uh, I've always believed that good observing should be a mix of free cam and first person. It should be showing all kinds of different positions uh, and the only way to do it really really well is to have an observer who has a ton of experience observing and knows the game at a pretty deep level and can say, hey, I know, I see, uh, well, I guess this is a previous meta, but I see that there's a Graviton pulse bond combo potentially being set up. I see that this is what they're looking for. Or I see that there's a nano blade potentially coming up. Or I see that the soldier is in a really good position, and potentially going to uh, uh, drop his, his visor. You know, those are the things that you have to be watching out for really carefully. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think okay. I, I think that like you have to. It has to be a mix of everything, and you have to just have a good game sense to do it right. I don't think there's going to be hard and fast rules, in my opinion. Yeah, Jamerson, what do you think?
3: Yeah, there are far too many issues to really try to um, talk about it all together, but. Um... While I appreciate,
0: yeah, his, what yeah
3: while make? I appreciate, you know, getting to see more Zenyatta and stuff like that, um, I don't think it tells for compelling story making at that point or storytelling at that point. Uh, while sure, you can get a better grasp of the entire playing field by watching a Zenyatta or a Lucio, you still want to see people just clicking heads at that point. <laughs> I mean, I, I think like the approach that I would take is, you know, um, you go overhead into first person of always the attacker. It should almost always be the attacker unless we have that meta where Ben had mentioned we're going back to more Z- uh, Zarya's and Reinhardt's, setting up those flinky ultimates. But for the most part, always the attacker so that you know you have that consistency um, in the storytelling. Um, go in with the playmaker. Once the team fight looks relatively safe to call for one side, then you can go ahead and draw back um, after, like, maybe two or three frags onto the Zenyatta or Lucio. Because oftentimes, when the Zenyatta's popping off, the Zenyatta's gonna pop off a, a lot of the times in the cleanup phase of a lot of these team fights. And so, yeah, people are gonna complain that, oh, we didn't get to see, you know, um, the Zenyatta get a triple kill, but it was a triple kill in a cleanup scenario. So, yeah. Okay, um, so, the most so right there, there,
0: there are some trends then. I mean, what you're saying mm-hmm. are there definitely are some noticeable trends that, um, you know, obviously we could use that information and figure out, you know, just, like, when to, to really jump to those, or at least plan to jump to those cams. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. Um,
2: so, I mean, I'm, I'll address a few of the things here specifically to just general observing theory, but mm-hmm. uh, one thing I'm going to note here right now, the reason why you probably won't see an attacking Zenyatta too often, it's why uh, observers that have been around tend to avoid it, is that there's still some color issues that need to be fixed in the yeah, game. Yeah, obviously. Where, mm-hmm. if you put the camera on a red Zenyatta you're going to see blue icons for him to send for players that are otherwise red. That's very confusing. That's stuff that will eventually get fixed in time, but for now, it makes, say, an attacking Zenyatta actually a really bad camera target in most situations, unless that player is just playing out of his mind. Like, you have to be having a Kareev-level game to put it on Red Zenyatta because you are getting confusion by putting it on there. Anyways, uh, overall, for observing... uh, attacking side is definitely something to follow i mean you think about how traditional sports mm-hmm. work you follow the actual wh- who's making action happen it is the attackers the offense it really, yeah. I mean, yeah it would be very strange if defense-wise you went into like a cornerback's helmet instead of watching the offense as i set up the quarterback as i set the ball it'd be weird in basketball if you put the camera and follow the defense as they set up as the offense was slowly going back over. So in general, following the attackers is intuitive. It makes sense. I think we're going to see more of it. I think that that's mm-hmm. how it should be done. Yeah. And as far as like what you should be watching the given fight, it depends. You really depends on what players are doing well. You want to follow the storylines that both... Like, storylines both objectively in-game from how people are playing, and storylines from what the commentators are saying. Like, if the commentators are talking really heavily about a tank player, you're probably going to want to get more tank gameplay. If they're talking heavily about the DPS, you want more DPS. Naturally, the flashiest stuff you're going to get in Overwatch is, will relate to the DPS, so you're going to be Who's typing so heavily right
3: now? <laughs> yes. Oh, sorry, that's me.
2: <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, normally you're going to get. Oh my god, I can't <laughs> think with the typing. Um, you, don't, um, you don't go um, change out your keyboard for something with quieter switches. <laughs> no, but uh, anyways. Yeah, uh, I mean they, they
0: did that with AKTM. I mean just whenever they were yeah. ta- obviously we were talking about it a lot. They showed him a lot too, you know, and I think that was smart for for sure. It, it's um. Hey.
2: Go. right so dps is going to have more of a trend to it mm-hmm. not that you can't put it more in supports when they're really breaking out the mold like for example when i was doing the beat invitational well, i put the camera more in Creve because he was playing out of his mind this is all going to vary i think one thing that i still believe pretty firmly in here is that i think free can is really important uh, in the lead-up to a fight the show position yeah. wise and you definitely have to have first person in fights to build excitement and craziness like If we were a full free cam in fights when AKTM was doing stuff in uh, Australia, it would have been harder to build his story as a caster with like the crazy aim and stuff he was doing. I think it's also one thing that has been touched on here that's also really important is that I don't think you want to go full Apex with Apex just trying to swap and catch everything. The Apex camera, even though it's, you know, in quotes, catching more things, it's also much harder to build a storyline around that because they'll do things like going from a red tracer to a blue tracer. Yeah. They will swap constantly trying to get every little thing and that makes casting and telling a compelling story to your viewer really tough. I think that not only do you want to stick with the attack, but I think you also need to avoid quick switches. You need to make it so the viewer is consistent in what they're following as opposed to this mad dash to catch everything. Right. And also I think you know, that's such a thing that's come up every, every now and then. People come up with the idea of like, oh, you know, what about cheap feeds? What about always catching the right thing? Sometimes it's important to catch like fails on stream. Some of the most important, hilarious things that happen in sporting period is not always the good play. It's also the play that someone messes up. You need to have bad on like.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's
2: good. You need to have mess ups on stream <laughs> right, as well. Right, so
0: it's right. like bloopers and funny things. I mean, correct. Yeah. Bad play is obviously entertaining too. Uh, all right, well, anyways, Ben's got to get going here, so why don't we wrap up here and do some quick shout-outs. Uh, Jamerson, aw, it was definitely a lot of fun having you on and uh, definitely should do it again, too, whenever you're back from Katowice and uh, lots of more stories to tell us. But have any shout-outs you want to do right now? Where can people find you?
3: Oh, uh, you could just find me across the board, all across social media, at Jetset Jamerson. Um, and, yeah, I, I just had a lot of fun being on here. I do like doing these thank you guys so much for having me and of course thank you for blizzard for giving me the opportunity to be on world cup Uh, i enjoyed it very much and i can't wait to work more with them in the future
0: awesome yeah and thanks again because i know you're jet lagged both of you actually zp and super jet lagged from obviously the trip so uh zp
2: shout outs Mr. Yes, and it's, uh, follow me on Twitter at TempoZP. Definitely check out the Poland group stage coming up. Of course, not this weekend, but the weekend after that. Should be interesting to see stuff evolve, especially if uh, you know some of the rumors about teams trying new stuff uh, turns out to be reality. Uh, we'll have to see. And then, of course, uh, group stage is complete in Santa Monica a week after that. So uh, we've already had great stories for the World Cup stuff. Still have two more great events to go and definitely excited for it. All right, Ben. Oh, man.
1: You, you, I almost wish that four teams advanced from each. I know, me stages too. we had, because like,
0: oh, oh, it's so depressing
1: fans. that that Japan and Spain didn't go through. And then like th- these groups, you know, Russia and Canada, it would have been actually. I would have really liked it if they like had sixteen teams before post-con well, because I just want to watch more and more of this. But this weekend, guys, we're gonna see Korea play. I am going to be so hyped just to to see how this team performs. I think they're going to just cruise through, but it's going to be a lot of fun. You can follow me at, at fishsticks on Twitter and uh i sorry for ending the show abruptly but i have to go
0: right now okay so. <laughs> all right buddy we'll right now. i'll wrap it up real quick but guys uh we'll, we'll be uh, actually we'll be here back in two weeks because i'm actually on vacation for the next two weeks so uh obviously you're going to be skipping a week so don't look for us next week but you can find all the vods on youtube.com you can find us on itunes just search for the overview or overwatch and uh that's going to be it for this week guys so for Jamerson, ZP, Fish Sticks, and myself, Cham MV. We'll see you next week or in two weeks. See you later.